A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great, except for this gigantic nosebleed that I've gotten now since we, were, you and I off air, we're just trying to figure out who's in whose conference now. Like, mm. <laughs> like it's just, it is a mental strain <laughs> to try to keep up with everything. Yeah, where everybody's going, all the new uh, realignment around college football, that's been the, uh, that's been the news here for about the last two weeks. I guess the Colorado domino fell. And then we all anticipated the next dominoes would fall pretty quick. And it took, what, a week? A week and some change, Rob? It fell fairly quickly. Yeah, it did. Um, and it, like, it got me because there were some who were talking, like, okay, there probably won't be anything else now until till maybe midseason or after the season. And then the Pac-12 said, nah, bruh, we added this now. Um, and then we just have the the massive exodus of, of, of everything that that's happened. Um, okay. So I'm going to, so here, here's just for those listeners and Spencer, please correct me or add to this. If you, you know, if you want to, um, Spencer and I kind of had a, we, we decided that we were going to try our best to actually talk about this from a football standpoint and not get into the old man wringing their hands on the porch or the politics or heavy financials of this. We're going to try to actually talk about how this affects football and and, and maybe a little bit of other sports. Um, Isn't that kind of the gist of what we said, Spencer? Yes. Um, We feel like it's kind of conference realignment is getting kind of boring because it's not on the football field. And obviously there's a good bit of this that's sort of, uh, you know, it's crappy to see what's going to happen for some of these programs you know, Stanford and all those folks and those athletes. And um, some of this is not fun. We, I think there's a good good reason to believe you and I, Robbie, both have enjoyed college football being in regions of the country, a Pac-12, a Big 12, a Big 10, a SEC. We've enjoyed those four regions of the country and their forms of football. Um, so to see that go away, it's obviously been disappointing. Uh, and, and exhausting because some of this does play out slowly, even though this last little bit didn't. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, we wanted to kind of try to stay away from the, um, you know, the weeds and just talk about on the field football, kind of where things fall uh, from a competitive standpoint. Because obviously everybody's chasing dollars, but the thing that you and I love the most and the thing that. Uh, most people listening are going to love the most is the on the field product. So yeah. how does this sort of change the dynamics of the big 10, uh, the sec and the big 12? No, I, I completely agree. Um, so, so Spencer, let's go ahead and I'm going to try to read through this um, just to talk about really quickly who did what <laughs> over the last like week. We know Colorado. Yeah, just to recap. Going, yeah. yeah. We're going the big, we know that um, Colorado is going the big 12. We know that coming into this season, the Big 12 will have added to them BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Okay, next year though, uh, as of right now, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving to go to the SEC, and the teams joining the Big 12 
are going to be Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. So that means that they will have 16 teams going heading into the 2024 season. They will not have they will not have divisions and they will play non-conference games. Okay? Just I just want to add that's that in there. Still, that's still the Big 12. That's still the Big 12. Yeah. Um then we okay. have the Big 10. Okay. So, no one is joining this year. No one is leaving this year. However, next year the Big the Big 10 will add Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Washington. And they are going, in 2024, they will not have divisions, and they will continue to play nine conference games. And then that leaves the Pac-12. The Pac-12 will have four teams, and they, they've already moved away from divisions, and we have no idea what they're going to do other than probably not exist in 2024. Yeah, I guess you're the, the potentially likely thing is to just join the Mountain West, right? Or try to get Mountain West teams to fold into, you know, a Big 12 or a Pac-12, I'm sorry. Try to get Boise State, um, San Diego State, try to get those teams, see if you can't, I don't know. See if you can hold things together that way. I, but I don't know. I don't know if those teams are going to say we want to join Kaliakov, who has, unfortunately, he's been handed a, a tough situation, but he's also not come through with the media rights deal. So does that then mean eh, we're not that uh, we're not that attractive to that leadership right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know what. I don't. I don't know who they could go get to that makes having a conference viable. Like it makes sense to continue having a conference. Like right. because you need to go add anywhere between six to eight teams, and who who six what six to eight teams are there available that you could add? I mean, I guess like you're suggesting from the um, from the uh, the group of five conferences. Who who could who could help this conference make money? This is like I, we talked about this last week a little bit. Um, I can't pronounce his name. Who's the current commissioner of the Pac-12 again? I just messed up his name Kale- too much. Kaliakov. Kaliakov. This is solely on Kaliakov and Larry Scott's shoulders. This is their fault. Like I I don't think there's any other way around this. Everything we've heard, everything that's been written about this has been the the schools were waiting. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Pac-12 to, to set themselves up to move, to make moves, to be in a viable, lucrative situation financially, and they never did. And and this is this is their fault. They did this. And I mean, it's obviously, you know, from our standpoint, it is very frustrating, right? You know, you and I, we love football. We love college football. You know, we're called a rich tradition for a reason. It's because we do love the traditions of college football. But at the same time, we understand that, you know, not everything can be – not everything can stay the same, especially in this world of of money that's that's going all over the place. Um, Spencer, let me ask you this. Um, Before we get into – before I 
throw in some commentary from some people that I reached out to. Um, like, what what positive thing did you take from these moves that's happened? Like, what what was like what was a positive aspect that came to your mind while while uh, look, thinking about this? So, uh, I like that we're getting it done. Let's let's move this along. Okay, we we've talked and 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 here's the idea. And we knew about Oregon and Washington and big and the Big Ten for you know a long time. It felt like we we talked about that scenario when Texas and Oklahoma left for the SEC and they sort of broke the big news of moving and that was the seismic beginning of everything that that was floated out there at that point. Not that everything that we're talking about will eventually come to pass, but just we're, we're moving along. Okay, it's finally happening. Let's keep moving in the direction that we need to move in to maybe put some of this, um, you know, extra movement, this extra large movement behind us and get back to being able to spend August and July talking about football, football and not the movement of football programs. So I was happy to not happy, but okay, satisfied, relieved. Let's let's keep this moving if we can. Yeah. Um. For, for me, I mean, I I thought about oh my gosh, like wouldn't it be incredible to see uh, to see Penn State in white go to Oregon? Like I just I just thought about that. I just thought about that kind of that kind the, the kind of just the games that we're gonna get now. That I think are just are going to be really cool to see. Um, yeah, the USC Mac- playing in the snow in the Rose Bowl, or absolutely. not the Rose Bowl, but the but but the, the big, big house. house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there are, I think there are tons of positives on the field. Um, I think that um, uh, it's it's also going to be really cool to to see what kind of competition we get. You know, as a conference as a whole, I I do want to say real quick so I don't forget this. Uh, my friend Matt, who's a huge Oregon fan, this I asked him, you know, just hey, what what is your opinion strictly from a fan of you know from a fan of Oregon? And he said, I don't think it particularly helps Oregon. In all things Pac-12, they were on they were top of the crop. They have appearances in the playoffs, so it's not like they needed help getting over over the top there. So outside of bringing in more money. And it, it's not particularly helpful from an individual standpoint, but I do think it serves a bigger purpose for the hopeful betterment of college football. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think if you're if you're Oregon and you're Washington, you certainly think to yourself, did we better our chances of winning a conference? And you probably didn't, like yeah. your yeah. friend Matt said. You've just moved into the middle tier because now you're competing with Ohio State and Michigan who are top tier recruiting powerhouses and Penn State's on its way and there's no telling what Wisconsin can turn into under Luke Fickle. Michigan State has all sorts of potential as well and you're not only are you in a new conference and you're sort of middle of the pack but now also your recruiting grounds just increased, which is nice. But at the same time, you now have to travel further to get to those recruiting grounds. So if you want to try to recruit New Jersey, 
you'll certainly have chances to play Rutgers and Maryland and be in that area if you're Oregon or Washington. You'll have the opportunity to play over there. But recruiting trips during the summer are still going to cost what they're going to cost to go that far across the country. With the new money that you're making from the Big Ten, you might be able to swing all of that. But you still think to yourself, it's not going to be easy. Your recruiting grounds grew, but they grew exponentially. Uh, ex, you know, they grew by a lot. Sorry, <laughs> and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go across country if you're gonna try to recruit the same kind of people that Ohio State, Michigan are recruiting. Wisconsin's gonna be capable of. Michigan State, Penn State are gonna be capable of. You now have to come where they're recruiting to compete for the players that they're getting. Um, and yeah, they're going to come to California. Sure. But that's kind of all y'all got right now is California. They've got a lot of different hotbeds over there that they can, that they can recruit from. And now you have to join that, which is going to cost you some money. Good thing you're bringing in more of it, but you still are going to want to try to spend wisely, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's good. Uh, let, let's, let's really quick talk about this. Um, I want to talk about the Pac-12, and, and then we're going to move into the Big Ten's reaction to this, um, and then we'll we'll segue into our actual preview of the Big Ten. From a football standpoint of the Pac-12, does like this has to add this has to add urgency to teams? To, I mean, I mean, it has to add urgency to all these all these teams: USC, Cal, or USC, UCLA. Uh, Oregon, Washington, Washington, or not Washington State, uh, Oregon State. Like it, it, wouldn't you say like it adds urgency to their season this year because next year they walk into what many would say a much tougher conference. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that puts a lot of pressure on this upcoming season. Wouldn't you agree? Well, sure. Yeah. No, you want the last ditch effort at a conference championship. So, so you can carry that into uh, so that you can carry that into the recruiting grounds uh, because you're still going to be competing against uh, Oregon State if you're Oregon for in-state recruits. Or if you're Washington, you're still going to be competing with Washington State and with Oregon State and with USC and UCLA. All of the recruiting battles will stay the same for the most part uh, in terms of your local area. Um, so, yeah, you would like to you'd like to get one last win over all those programs and be able to kind of spring load yourself into the next conference. So yeah, no, uh, this sort of the PAC 12 championship is going away. So therefore it, it garners a little bit more prestige at this point. Yeah. And I, I also think of like, I specifically think of teams like Washington, UCLA and Oregon state. Those three teams are not universally, they're, you know, they or I'm sorry, recently have not been a regular competitor for their conference, uh, you know, conference winner or or for the or for the playoff, except for Washington, you know, like 2015. Um, I just think for those three teams, it it basically tells them, hey, like you may not get another chance to win your conference for a long time um, until you have like another like out of nowhere year. Um, you know, Michael Penix, you know, this is his opportunity to to go out on top in the Pac-12 potentially. Uh, I mean, and or even, I mean, I, I think, I didn't think about this question before because I did write down some notes, but I, I'm thinking about this question right now as this conversation goes on. Who, 
who's under more stress to win this year because of their their new destination next year? Washington or Utah? Washington. Washington, yeah. Because if anything, Utah's getting a better deal. Utah's getting a relatively better deal just simply from a competition on the field standpoint. Yeah, you now are kind of the big dogs on campus in in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's still Baylor and there's still Texas Tech and there's still Oklahoma State, all teams that are capable. TCU in the national championship game last year. Um, There's some programs that are capable, but nothing like what Utah's been able to put together over the last few years winning their national uh, beating USC twice last year the great and wonderful fantastic USC Utah beat them twice last year that's the most solid program uh you know on on the move right now it feels like stable yeah. solid program on the move that has been that way for a long time yeah Utah's walking into a really nice situation Washington is obviously walking in with Ohio State and uh, Michigan and USC, um, and a growing Penn State that, yeah, they they're they're middle of the tier, and or they're mid tier, and the, there's several teams ahead of them. Yeah, no, no, I I agree with you. Um, one other or uh, one other um, Pac-12 reaction I had for my friend Zach Anderson, who who's um a huge Stanford fan who lives over. In, in California, who has just been taking hit after hit because he's an Oakland Raiders fan, and now they're in Las Vegas. He's a, an Oakland A's fan, and they're leaving. And he's also a Golden State fan, and they left. And now, this is what he said. As a, Stanford, as a Stanford fan, I feel that this is one of the saddest moments in modern sports. It's not only the loss of the Pac-12. It's the loss of 100 years of tradition, of rivalries, of history, all because they had the worst commissioner in sports history. <laughs> No, that's uh, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you're, yeah, no, I, I imagine he's not the only one that feels that way. I'm sure he talks with lots of other uh, Stanford people, and it's not just Stanford people. Cal people are going to feel that way mm-hmm. as well. Washington State people are going to feel that way. Oregon State people, um, yeah, no, this is this is an incredibly disappointing time for them because a lot of people around college football feel like none of this had to happen. Yeah. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma did not have to leave the Big 12, which, of course, caused all of this seismic moving. And even then, none of the Washington and Oregon had to happen. None of it had to happen is a is a popular thought amongst the big talking people in college football. But it happened because it can. And it yeah. happened because people wanted to chase dollars. So yeah. here we are. And because of all of that, they're the smaller programs that have to go to the wayside or they have to suffer or, you know, whatever it is that they have to do. So um, some people would say that's life. That's is a dog eat dog world kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, I think we've always enjoyed the ecosystem of college football and the fact that there are plenty of programs that are not relying on national championship success to be successful. And places like Stanford and places like Cal and places like Washington State were part of those programs. They would want it that, you know, eight wins, super successful, uh, beat Washington at the end of the year. If you're Washington State, win the Apple Cup. And, hey, we just had a a fantastic year, a a year we can be really proud of and will add to the excitement of next year. So 
the fact that, yeah, no, the, the changing of all of this in college football would certainly upset uh, people who are on or a part of the programs who don't necessarily have national championship aspirations every single year. Not able to. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's it's sad from that standpoint, and you got you got to feel you got to feel for teams like Oregon State and Washington State, who, especially Oregon State this year, last year, and this year, who have just done everything right, who are just been building up a program, who are now in a situation where you have no idea where they're going to play football next year. Washington State, you know, ever since Mike Leach left, you know, you really haven't been you haven't been in that great position that you were with him, but you know, you're, you're looking at this year with a possible, like you're, you're hoping for a seven to nine win season, you know, Cal has continued to be competitive, but then you, then you got Stanford who there's some talking about that. They may just drop the football program wow. and, and you just don't, you, you just don't want to see that and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but Spencer, let, let's, let's move over to the big 10 side of this. And um, I, I do want to make mention of this. My, my friend James, who is a huge Michigan fan, um, his first thing, and, and I, I just thought this be, this was interesting. He, he said a couple of things that I, I found um, fun to discuss real quick. He said, I think 2024 could be a big letdown year for, for Michigan. Um, he says uh, Michigan does not have a great track record on the West Coast. Also, our recruiting has not kept up in the last cycle. He also makes mention of Dante Moore going to UCLA actually hurt Michigan in a big way. Um, it crippled the 23 class, which I agree with him because uh, there was th- there was huge speculation that he was actually going to go to Michigan. He was uh, and get some big time receivers to come to Michigan, but as we know, he went to UCLA. So I, I kind of just wanted to ask you, like out the gate, like what do you think of that? Just he is a Michigan fan, but like from the Michigan standpoint, like taking a huge step back and then and then this possibly hurting them having to travel to the west coast which you know he says they don't historically do well well and you also think you just upgraded offenses times four at least um for for the current standing chip kelly and usc or ucla offense lincoln riley usc offense and then oregon and and um and Washington are both fielding really good offenses now. For a while there in the Big Ten, Michigan and Ohio State have kind of benefited from any of the high-powered offenses were ran by Purdue, and the talent gap was too big. But everybody else in the conference didn't necessarily go big offense. So now you've upgraded four offenses into, or you've integrated four offenses into the conference, which now is going to make things that much tougher from a, you you know, you're going to have to, you're going to be consistently facing tougher offenses. It's no longer going to be Iowa in a cloud of dust. Uh, you know, you're going to be facing some big boys there on that side of the football. So I think that's going to make things tougher. Obviously the travel, like you said, what, traveling out West to those long road trips, that has an effect on people. That has an effect on 19 year olds. Sure. They're flying. And sure, they're only 19 years old, but, you know, jet lag is jet lag. It's going to get you no matter what age you are. So now you're going to be looking at teams traveling sooner. I would imagine that would be the thing 
if you travel normally on a Friday to your football destination, there's a very good chance if Michigan's got to go to Washington, Oregon, USC, wherever, they may be leaving on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, to get those cobwebs shaken out. What does that do to class? All those things that, you know, those players are going to have to deal with throughout the year. So it will be very interesting um, from that standpoint because like we've talked about with, you know, a Cincinnati or a USC or a Houston joining the Big 12, your competition's about to ramp up. And in a lot of ways, while Oregon and Washington, their competition is stepping up, having to play the teams above them, well, it just got thicker for um, Michigan and Ohio State as well, and Penn State, who's trying to be on the rise, Wisconsin, who's trying to be on the rise. Things just got tougher for y'all too because, yeah, the, the conference is a little thicker now with four quality programs. No, I no, I think you're right. Um, you know, you I I think I I think I talked to you about this last night. You know, we'll talk about Maryland here in a few minutes, but I think this this again adds pressure to teams this year in the Big Ten who potentially looked at this year as an opportunity for them to take a take a step up to compete at a high level to maybe even compete. I'm not saying win the Big Ten, but maybe man just be on a be a game or two away from making the Big Ten championship. Um, you know, a, a team like Maryland or even even a team like Penn State, where you put these teams and they have opportunities this year, and then next year you throw in four very good teams, very good to great potential teams, especially with when you're talking about Washington, Oregon, and USC. Like you said, with their offense, and and now you've got you've got teams like you know Maryland, Penn State, even Wisconsin or Iowa, who now are saying, "Oh crap! Like, is this is twenty the twenty twenty three season the the last time we'll actually be able to say we can definitely compete this year?" Um, and I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying like these are these are con- these are conversations that are probably being had. You know, maybe not literally out loud, but in, inside their heads, like, is there more pressure on the 2023 season because of what's going to come next year? Um, Spencer, I think I think this does, you know, like my friend Matt said, you know, like this probably does. This probably takes away or this definitely takes away future, you know, playoff auto bids because if the Pac-12 doesn't exist. And then this over here on the Big Ten side, it just is going to make it so much harder for teams to, in that middling tier, to get up to the cream of the crop. But at the same time, like my friend, like my friend James suggested, what if actually it hinders or hurts teams like Michigan or Ohio State, like you were suggesting, who now have to travel? You know, across who have to travel over to the West Coast, who have to go play in Austin Stadium on you know in November 18th. You know, when it's it's just high altitude and a little rainy, a little cold. You know, um, I I, I do think from a positive standpoint, and because I'm I am really trying to look at this from the positive standpoint, I I do think this is going to be an awesome. I think this is an awesome mega conference. <laughs> like I. As a whole, like just looking at the Big Ten and what it's going to be next year, 
Spencer, it really makes me it makes me jacked to think about what this conference, what these games are going to look like, and how much fun they're going to be. Yeah, no. From a from a fan standpoint, this is all going to be great because we don't care whether or not Ohio State gets over the hurdle, but we can acknowledge that this will be an extra hurdle. It'll be an extra hurdle for everybody. It's not just Ohio State getting picked on. It's an extra hurdle. Rutgers is going to have to travel too. And so is everybody else. They're all going to have to go from one side to the other. So it's an extra hurdle for everybody, which means it's another thing to add to the puzzle or add to the pot of, you know, what's going to make this really, really fun. November and USC has already played, you know, some really tough games. And now they've got to go to the horseshoe in November and it's snowing. And maybe they've already made a couple of trips to this side of the country. You know, they're jet lagged and it's time to go play another one against a really tough team. And so, yeah, it's going to be fun for us, but it's definitely going to be, um, you know, extra challenge for everybody else. It'll be more things for us to, uh, to factor in when we're trying to determine whether or not who's going to win or lose. And those that bet are going to have to factor in those things as well. Um, and I imagine the travel agents, whoever the department is on each team that's responsible for booking flights and booking hotels, um, good thing the media rights deal is bumping up because those teams are going to be spending more money on hotels and on flights, mainly hotels, because you're going to be staying extra nights because you're going to be leaving on Wednesday to try to beat that jet lag and not have it be an issue. So to one last person that reacted that I reached out to, um, someone who actually works within the athletic department at one of the OG big, big 10 schools. Um, and, and they, they, they mentioned a lot of things and a lot of stuff that we've already talked about. Um, but a couple of things that, that were brought up were the, the, the mental health aspect of this for players, the travel, which you already alluded to the, the, the traveling back and forth, the, the now stress and strain of certain programs within the conference to keep up, to keep up financially. Um, yes, they'll be getting money, but like they also need to be competitive so they continue to want to be a, like so they can stay within the conference. Um, but also the and, and I don't want to spend too long on this because we are a college football podcast. But the biggest strain, the the bigger thing that people need to pay attention to is what this is going to do to the to the other sports that play multiple games a week. Yeah. This, this is going to be so hard and stre strenuous on the softball player, the the baseball player, the basketball player, the soccer player, the you know volleyball, all these different schools that travel so much throughout a week already within their own conference are now possibly could go coast to coast more frequently. Because before, it, when it was just USC, UCLA, yes, it was literally coast to coast. But now you've got a total of four teams, possibly more coming, four teams on the West Coast that you could go hit and and so like what do you do do you like do you have to double up like we got to play if you're you know if you're Michigan you've got if you're playing baseball like you've got to go play Washington Oregon this week so then the next week you'd be home for a week or two you know like this stuff this stuff is going to be str strenuous it's going to be hard and and I don't I don't really know what the answer is because I'm not going to say oh suck it up no like this I can't fathom doing this when I was 19 or 20 years old but these kids are going to be demanded to do this, and they had no say in the situation. 
And that's probably the benefit. If you're USC and UCLA, you're really thankful Washington and Oregon were added because it's going to relieve some of that travel for you because your travel was going to always be across the way unless you were just playing one of the other people. So now if you're USC, you can get a week of travel, back-to-back traveling weeks to UCLA and to Oregon, and it's not breaking your back. Uh, as players, and then you can sprinkle in the the longer travels. But yeah, there's not you're not going to get rid of the long travel. You're going to have to deal with it. Um, but Oregon and Washington also help on the front that if you're Rutgers and you're coming over to play USC, then you would ultimately play UCLA that same week as well. In terms of you're on the road for a Wednesday game, and then you know Saturday's game is the other program on that side of the on that side of the country. Whether it's whatever two programs it is of the four, that's how you would uh, you would map that stuff out from a travel standpoint. So, yeah, Oregon and Washington help immensely from an other sport standpoint and a scheduling standpoint, so that those West Coast trips can um, can maybe be there's a little bit more flexibility with that, so that. Um, you know, you, you have some options there, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right, Spencer, do you have anything else you want to add before we jump in to jump into actual previews? Um, no, I think we've covered everything. This is going to be, it's going to be fun. Yeah. It'll be interesting to keep up with, you know, who are the main, who are the big boy basketball programs in the Big Ten, who are the big boy? You know, UCLA competes very, very well in a lot of different sports. How does this now change for their softball team having to go, you know, the, that extra travel week after week or, you know, all throughout the year, that extra travel becoming an opponent of itself? You know, what does that do to their prestigious UCLA softball program or, you know, whatever other team's prestigious some sport that we don't I mean, really Oregon's talk about a whole lot? Oregon's basketball team is legit too. I mean, yeah, so there you go. It it makes it, it in in a lot of ways it it can make a lot of things better. It it sucks from the traditional standpoint, from the rivalries, from the 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 traditions that we've had. However, from the like I, I just think <laughs> we're going to get to the point where we're not going to see you know, Ohio State play Citadel. Like we're we're not gonna we're gonna get to a point where they're playing hard games week in and week out. And and to me, uh, you know, I'm I'm just picking on Ohio State because they're you know the they're the the cream of the crop for that conference. That's the kind of stuff though, Spencer, that I look forward to. Um I I wanna see a rematch series with Ohio State and Oregon. You know? Um Yes. Yes. Those but, yeah all the, the the new programs competing against the new teams that all that stuff will be very fun for sure. All right, Spence. So we are going to we're going to be previewing the Big 10 tonight. We are going to move a little quicker than we did last than we did last episode because we went so long with this uh, reaction, but we we wanted to react to it. We had a lot to say. I hope that you guys found that interesting. Um also continue to be looking out here very soon. We're going to be um not really changing anything. You guys, you guys won't notice a difference at all, other than you know uh, an ad read. But we are, uh, 
we're going to be joining dogcentral.com. That's going to be happening here in the next week or two. Um, and we're really looking forward to that. But Spencer, Big Ten, uh, just really quick. Overall, what was your, like, in, did anything stand out to you, not team-wise, but just overall about this conference as you were previewing it and getting ready for, for this today? If the Pac-12 was the conference of quarterbacks, the Big Ten seems to be in a very opposite situation. Mm. There are a few quarterbacks, um, but not quite. I mean, the Pac-12 seemed to have almost every team outside of two that were returning a quarterback from last year or had a quarterback coming in that was really highly touted. And I guess you could put Colorado in there. So it was really just one team in, uh, I guess, Stanford that was kind of lacking a quarterback. Everybody else kind of had something really, really uh, some good ground to stand on at the quarterback spot. So this go around for the Big Ten, that's not necessarily the case. Plenty of big question marks throughout the conference at the signal caller position. Uh, there are a few, tech, uh, you know, Tonga Bailoa, uh, J.J. McCarthy, are some guys that are returning, but ultimately uh, lots of question marks, lots of new guys, new faces, and uh, who are they going to be? Yeah, for me, it was, I, I really think that this is the, the conference of coaches on hot seats, or maybe not hot seats, but the it, this is a conference that I feel like has the most question, coaches in question, whether it's, uh, whether it's Iowa, whether it's Kurt, whether it's Franklin, whether it's Harbaugh to a degree, whether it's Ryan Day, whether it's whether it's <laughs> Loxley or you know at uh, Maryland, um, whether it's Luke Fickle at at Cincinnati, whether man, whether it's Shiano at Rutgers, I just think there's all. I'm not saying these coaches are going to lose their jobs, but I'm just saying like a lot of questions have been asked about these coaches about are they able to achieve certain things, and that that was the thing that stood out to me about this conference. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's silly that Ryan Day is getting, you know, put under the microscope. Uh, <laughs> it's natural. It happens, but it's yeah. silly. At it's the end of the day, the only thing you can really ask for is for your coaching staff to give you an opportunity. And Ryan yeah. Day gives Ohio State, has been giving Ohio State a great opportunity. Yes, you want to get over. Yes, you want to compete or, you know, win the championships. But at the end of the day, there's other good teams out there. There's other teams out there that recruit really well. And sometimes the ball's just not going to go your way. And you've got to be a little bit flexible on that, even as a fan base, because if you're firing everybody who loses, well, then nobody's got a job because everybody's in, lost. In five years, in five years, he has lost six games, Spencer. Yeah. Six games. And they've all been very important games that, yeah. or where they've all been against really good teams. Who have gone on to achieve really, you know, big things. I think the only reason why he's catching any flack right now is because of the last two years against Michigan. How many times are of those losses? How many of them? How many of those opponents are conference champions and/or national champions? Because I um, can name you at least uh, Georgia, who is a conference and national champion, and Michigan, who's a two-time conference champion, uh, in that span as well. I guess okay. there's probably a Purdue in there somewhere. Well, no, he hasn't but. lost to Purdue. Ryan Day has not. Okay. That's the thing. Ryan Day hasn't lost a garbage game. 
that I'm trying. I'm trying to find when he's he not took, had a slip up. Yeah, I'm trying to think when he took over. Um, he okay. So in eighteen, in in eighteen, he took over. I guess for three game for four games. Um, but but I know for a fact that Urban Meyer was the head coach when they got destroyed by Purdue, that forty nine to twenty. However, in nineteen, he went. Is this right? He went undefeated in the regular season. 2020, went undefeated in the regular season. 2021, lost to Oregon in that really awesome game against Oregon, and then lost to Michigan in 2021, as we know. It kind of got handled. Then in 2022, only last year, only lost to Michigan, and then and then lost to Georgia, the you know the eventual national champion. Um, I don't have their bowl games in front of me. I wish I would have thought of that. But um, actually, I do here. Um, in 2019, lost lost to Clemson in 2019, who even went on to lose to LSU. In 2020, lost to Clemson or beat Clemson, and then went on to lose against uh, I think, yeah, went on to lose to Alabama in the national championship game. 2021, law uh, beat beat Utah in the Rose Bowl, and then in 2022, lost to Georgia on a last second field goal that he. That they should have honestly, Ohio State should have won that game. Like to your point, and we'll start with Ohio State just as the previous since we've been here for so long. I I think it's asinine that Ryan Day is even questioned at all as being the guy when he's only lost six games, and as we just talked about here, like three of four, three or four of those six losses are to potent or are to eventual national champions. Like you said, he is not. He does not have the Urban Meyer slip up that so many people keep forgetting that he had almost every year at, at Michigan. He's put you in the playoff. And I mean, again, the only thing you can ask for is chances and opportunities. Yeah. And if he's given you chances and opportunities, then there's nothing to complain about. Yeah. Uh, because Kirby didn't always capitalize on his chances and opportunities early on and yeah. then started winning. So the more times you can walk up to the plate or step up to the plate and swing the bat, the more opportunity you have to hit the ball. And Kirby got more opportunities, gave himself more chances, and eventually hit the ball. So Ryan Day's, uh, I think you're silly if you fire Ryan Day at Ohio State. Agreed. Um, all right, so coming into the 2023 season, um, we know that they're returning the best wide receiver room in the country. They are um, they're returning some dudes on defense that could honestly help them quite a bit um, in taking that step forward that we we that we were hoping they would do this year, even though you and I, you and I did not believe that Knowles was going to be able to fix their defense in one year. I think you and I specifically said that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong in that, but I think you and I did talk about that extensively that we don't think their defense is going to be fixed in one year. Um, however, for me, their their win their over under is ten and a half wins. For me, it, this is a simple. The way they're going to get to ten to get to ten and a half wins or more, which you can't win half wins, but to, to get that eleven or more win mark, all comes down to their defense. Like if like they'll be able to do that if their defense is able to take that step forward because they play at Notre Dame, they play at Indiana, they play at Wisconsin this year, they play a Maryland team who I really like, um, and obviously they play at Michigan. You cannot win those games if you do not have a, a defense 
that can win games for you. I, I, and so that that brings me to the other side. The way they won't hit that, Spencer, the, the way they won't hit that 10.5 win mark is kind of twofold. It's if their defense isn't better and if they're um, if they can't rely on their running game at points throughout the season. I am not worried about their wide receivers. I'm not I don't care who their quarterback is. I do not care if it's I don't care if it's Kyle McCord in a wheelchair. Whoever is throwing to these wide receivers is going to throw for is going to throw for money. I'm not I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about their defense and I'm worried about can they can they run the ball on somebody to shut them down when they need to. Yeah, sort of control the clock. Yeah. So that brings me to my offensive line. I do care a little bit more about the quarterback position than I think Robbie does, but that's okay because I understand I where you're trust, coming from. I just trust Ryan. I understand. Day. Yeah, that's fine. Um, offensive line obviously is going to have to uh, be replenished, uh, and of course they've got the pieces to be able to do that. But Rob, I'm going to take your defensive uh, thought one step further. Late in the season and late in games, better defense. They gave up 30 points to Maryland in the second to last game of the season. They gave up 45 to Michigan. They gave up 42 to Georgia. The majority of those 45 and 42 coming in the fourth quarter. And then obviously, you know, late in the season, 30 points to a Maryland team. A defense that's able to be a little bit more, uh, you know, on top of their A game deeper into the season. They gave up 31 points to Penn State in the, what is that? Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three. Eighth, eighth, uh, eighth game of the season. So 31 points there. So yeah, you're you're thinking, yeah, these are the good teams, but you still want to see, you know, some strength defensively, um, you know, down the line, uh, down the stretch of these seasons because you're starting to see maybe that group slip a little bit. So defense stepping up against the big offenses and later in games, uh, fourth quarter in games, being uh, being stronger. I agree with you. Okay. Um, Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines. Okay. I'll let you start. You you start Michigan because I don't know if I'm gonna be very positive. You go ahead. Um. Yeah. So for the Wolverines, uh, I think ten and a half is the number. I think they can get to ten and a half if JJ McCarthy's pairing with the new quarterbacks coach Kirk Campbell pays off the way JJ McCarthy even himself has been praising. He's been very excited about his new offensive, uh, his new quarterbacks coach, and a lot of the mechanics and a lot of the, you know, different things that they're going to try to do to make him uh, take a step forward as a quarterback. I think if they can get to that ten and a half win mark with that new pairing, as well as I'm thinking about that senior leadership, a lot of stuff returning on the offensive line, a lot of stuff returning defensively for Michigan, big time players and such. So I feel like this is a program that needs not only for J.J. McCarthy to take a step forward in very specific spots, but also they need their senior leadership uh, to step up here as well. And again, in big games, you know, taking the reins, taking control late in the season, similar to Ohio State, and, um, you know, finally getting over the hump because, Jim Harbaugh, in very similar fashion to Ryan Day, has given Michigan a lot of opportunities here as of late. 
keep getting there and uh and and finally put it together and a lot of times finally putting it together has to do with players stepping up and finally you know filling the gap a little bit on things like experience and things like senior leadership no i i think that's good i i, I agree with you um they're coming in this year with just returning another another haul um of guys i I want to take Blake Corum. I, this isn't fair to him, but I need to take him off the table of this conversation because I don't know what he's going to be. I don't know what version of Blake Corum he's going to be. How often do we ever see running backs come back from a torn ACL that first season back and be the guy that they used to be? Um, you know, I think of Nick Chubb. I know that's an unfair example, but I think of Nick Chubb. He, I mean, he did he did good. But he wasn't he wasn't the Nick Chubb he was the following year in 2017, you know. Um, so I want to I want to take him off the board because I don't think he's part of this. I I really in, in when it comes to their over under, their over under them hitting over ten and a half wins or under I don't think has anything to do with the running game because I believe in their running game. I think their I think their offensive line is going to be good to great again. I think they they are bringing in. We talked about this. They are bringing in some new pieces. They had to transfer some guys in because they lost some pieces, but I just trust them in that. However, the question for how they're going to be able to overcome that is if J.J. McCarthy finally freaking steps up and shows to be an elite quarterback. I ha- I've been very, I've been very critical of J.J. McCarthy. I don't say he sucks. I don't say he's bad. I just don't know if he's the guy. I don't know if they can win under him or with or with him under center. I don't know if they can win the big game with him there. Um, even though within the conference, he's done very well. He just did not play. I, I just, I, I expected more from him against TCU. The way they're not going to be able to do this. The the reason why they're not able to do this Spencer is if they don't have people step up though, at wide receiver, because they are not returning. They're returning Cornelius Johnson, but they lose Ronnie Bell and Luke Shoemaker. And, I, Ronnie Bell was their big playmaker on the outside, and I think the reason why they don't hit ten and a half or more wins is because they don't have someone on the outside step up and create that vertical threat for them. Yeah, JJ McCarthy averaged twenty three attempts per game last year, and only threw for twenty seven hundred yards. If you're going to play the way Georgia plays, J.J. McCarthy's got to be a little bit more. The passing game is going to have to be a little bit more explosive. When you go to the passing game, like Stetson Bennett and Georgia were able to do, you're going to have to be able, you know, again, to be explosive and go downfield. And um, Bennett had, you know, 10 10 yards per attempt kind of numbers. J.J. McCarthy's got to get better in that department. Um, And some of that, has to be the the offense has got to ask for it. They've got to do it. They've got to call it. It's really hard to be that extra efficient on only 23 passes per game, which is what makes Stetson's first national championship run so special. It was only 21 attempts per game that season for him. So, and he was able to be super explosive on those, on those opportunities. That's not necessarily going to happen all the time. That was how special that was. So J.J. McCarthy might need a few more opportunities to get the ball downfield. Uh, they've also got to have the horses to be able to do it. So you you got to call it, and then you got to have the people to help influence calling it. So yeah, no, Michigan's offense needs to take that next step towards 
um, towards being a little bit more explosive, a little bit more uh, wide open offensively um, to take uh, take some of the pressure off that running game and make people fear you from that standpoint. Get some of those quote-unquote easy points with an 80-yard touchdown drive. It's really nice to be able to score seven on one play. Yeah. I mean, do you kind of agree with me, though, about the running game? Like, just not really concerned about the running game at all? Because I'm, I'm just not. Is that foolish of me? No, Donovan Edwards is back, and he's ready to go, and that that will allow Blake Corum not to have to be the every carry man. Um, okay. So, no. I, okay. I, I think you're there's the best offensive line in the country, arguably. So, yeah, no. I think they'll be fine uh, from that standpoint. Okay. Um, next, Spencer, is the Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, this is the team that a lot of people are saying like it is a dark horse. And, you know, I felt like they were at the end of last year, you know, but that doesn't count because I'm not, I'm not some talking head like these guys at CBS or ESPN who have been gushing over them all off season. So I, I kind of feel like this is like a fad pick or a trendy pick, but I think there's reason for that. I think that this team, even though they're at nine and a half wins, I think that if Drew Drew Alier, man, I heard the correct pronunciation of his name, and it's not Alar. That is not right. Um, oh, my gosh. It doesn't matter. Drew. Aller? Aller. That might be it. Uh, Drew Aller. Um, you know, it's it, them getting over nine and a half wins comes down to him. That, that, that is as simple as that. Clifford. I, I appreciate Clifford for all he was able to do while being at, at Penn State for 22 years, it felt like. Um, but uh, Alir just – he seems to be the dude. I think they're returning enough on offense. They're returning very good running backs in Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen. And I really do think that – don't they have Noah Kane too? Or am I forgetting – or is he not there anymore? Um, maybe he's not there anymore. Um but they have, thank you. They have, they have plenty of, they have plenty of talent. Their defense is going to be so good. They're, they're, I think their defense is going to be, I think their defense possibly could be the best in the Big Ten if, if it wasn't for, you know, maybe Illinois or Michigan. Um, the way they're able to overcome that, like I said, is Drew Allier. Um, And if they're not able to do it, Spencer, I really think it comes down to them not being able to protect the quarterback, which has been a problem which was the inconsistency, was not being able to run the ball consistently or or protect the quarterback often. What's going to keep them from it is protecting the quarterback. What's able to get them over it if, is, if Drew Allier is, is that dude. So that's where I'm at with Penn State. Yeah, I think you're going to have to um, – you're definitely going to have to get more dynamic play out of the quarterback. That's what we just got done talking about with – J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, and this will be the same thing for Drew Aller at Penn State as he steps in as a super young guy. So you're going to have to sort of weather some running, uh, some growing pains a little bit, but you've got a really good running game, Nick, Nick Singleton and Catron uh, uh, Allen. Four starters are back on that offensive line. That doesn't mean it's going to be all great and wonderful, but you do have four starters back on the offensive line, All-American candidate uh, included. Not, not going to try to say that kid's, uh, that kid's name, but either way, there's an All-American candidate on that offensive line. So if they can take a step forward, like Robbo said, 
then uh, then yeah, you're in a good spot. But you also are looking at. I agree that Aller is the the way to get to nine and a half wins or over. Ohio State and Michigan could be the the setback. They could be the the ones that are just too much to overcome, and you lose those two games. Maybe that creates a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of a situation in your schedule. You lose to Ohio State on the twenty first. Maybe that causes you to slip up to Maryland on the fourth, where you've got to play Michigan on the eleventh. You're looking ahead, and uh, and Maryland gets you, and that causes some sort of, you know, that causes a dynamic there for you. I also just wrote down the receiver room. You know, what does that look like for Penn State this year? Obviously, if you're going to ask a young quarterback to step up, you need to be reliable at the at the receiver position. And then there are four all-conference players that have left the defense. Now, there's five that are returning out of the nine total all-Big Ten honors that they got last year. But those four guys that are leaving, uh, including your top tackler from last year, a two-time captain on the defensive line, Senior leadership, like we talked about with Michigan, where, you know, does that hit you at in any way? Do those particular voices not being in the room anymore, does that hit you in a negative way if you're Penn State? Do people who are expected to step up not step up, and then those voices being out of the room hurt you? I think that could be another big thing for Penn State this year that keeps them from their nine and a half win total. Okay, I agree with you Um, on everything you just said, like, Man, I really, I, I just, I really hope that this is able to happen for Franklin, and things are able to come together. They have, they do have a tough, a tough schedule, but I, I think it's going to, excuse me, really interesting to see what they're able to do. All right, Spencer. Next, we we kind of have a big drop off as far as win totals, where we get to Maryland, who has, who who is expected to have over under of seven wins. They are returning. Only five on offense, but they return they return their two leading receivers. They return Talia Tagavaloa and I'm trying to read here, and they return their their leading rusher and like every every leading rusher that they had on their team. And they're returning six on defense. However, I, I think the name of the game here for me is I think they have an opportunity to get off to a good three to possibly even five and oh start to catch momentum. Because after if they're able to get that three and five in what by their their first five games is Townsend, Charlotte, Virginia, at Michigan State, and Indiana. There's a really good chance they're four and one or five and oh going into that. After that, Spencer, I think they have enough talent, and this is where I think they get the over seven wins. If if Talia can just stop turning the ball over, can he just stop throwing it or fumbling it? Can he just stop? That is the big question for me with him. And for me, also, the reason why they're not able to is because their defense is like a wet paper towel normally, and they're not able really to stop anybody. So it comes down to, I think they'll be able to get over that hump of seven wins if Talia can just can just be the guy he's supposed to be, which is very talented. He's not his brother. He doesn't have to be, but he's still very talented. He's a senior at this point. Can he put it together? And again, the way that they don't is if their defense continues to be incredibly soft. 
Yeah, they lost the turnover battle in one, two, three, four, five, six of 13 games last year. It cost them the game against Michigan, 34-27. It uh, played a factor in the game against Wisconsin, which was a loss, 23-10. to um, And then you're looking at a 13-point loss to Ohio State as well, that where you turn the ball over one time as well. And, um, and you know, who who knows if, you know, it saves a, a touchdown or, or something in that game and sort of spins things back around in your favor. So, yeah, you, you, you had a turnover issue last year. You definitely want to get that cleaned up. I'm wondering for Maryland, the return of Josh Gaddis and Mike Loxley again together again for the first time since 2018 when the two worked together down in Tuscaloosa with the aforementioned Tua Tungavailoa. So there could be something interesting with Josh Gaddis, Mike Loxley, working with the Tungavailoas again and perhaps taking him to the next level. He was beat up a little bit last year and so missed a couple of games because of injury. But if he stays healthy, uh, the quarterback, Josh Gaddis, Mike Loxley, maybe together can, uh, can turn some magic for uh, what was, uh, I believe, a Heisman Trophy winning season for Tua there in 2018. No, I completely uh, agree. That's a great point. I'm sorry. How they don't? No, you're you're fine. How they don't get their uh, their top five defensive line players are gone, and obviously in this in this um, in this conference, you're playing up against uh, some of the people that you're playing up against this season. You're going to have to go and play. Um, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, those are going to be teams that are going to push you around up front. If you can't win on the line of scrimmage, Ohio State, Michigan are going to dominate that line of scrimmage for you. Uh, Illinois, I think, is another team that has played really well uh, up front. So you're going to need to be able to um, you're going to need to be able to hold the line there on the defensive line, and uh, that could be a spot for Maryland that that keeps them from that seven win total this upcoming season after winning eight last year. No, I think it's great. A good, good call on the, the, the coaches. I had forgotten about that. Um, all right, Spencer. Next is the Michigan State Spartans. Their over-under is I, – I was really caught off guard that it was this bad. They're at four and a half wins this year. Yeah. Um, For me – the way they're able to get 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 the over because here's the thing I think actually their schedule would allow them to get an over. They play Central Michigan, Richmond, Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers and Nebraska. I like I you should be able to get five wins out of that. However, the the way they're able to do that is if their sophomore quarterback Noah Kim, who we saw very little of last year because of Thorn. Excuse me, who Peyton Thorne, who's now gone to Auburn. If Noah Kim can just be any bit of a playmaker on offense, can he be any bit of a playmaker on offense? And they're not, and they won't hit four and a half wins. Is if their defense is the worst in college football, or I'm sorry, specifically their pass defense, they will not be able to get to four and a half or more wins if their pass defense is still the worst in college football like it was last year. I know those seem super elementary, but I really think it is. You, you need your quarterback to be a little bit of a playmaker because Peyton Thorne was not that last year. 
and two, their defense was absolutely god awful. And so they they need to do better. Yeah, there's also a Caitlin Hauser or a Catan Hauser at the quarterback position as well. I was reading a little bit that maybe some people thought that he was the one that might have pushed Peyton Thorne uh, out the building when the two were competing in spring for the quarterback position. No, nothing, no, a starter has not been named, so there's no way to tell exactly where that competition is. But uh, ultimately, um, Hauser is a part of that conversation as well at the quarterback spot. Um, they need to address, they had a big transfer hall, but the additions to the defensive line, and uh, I think there's two transfers to, uh, I think, the offensive line and secondary, excuse me, excuse me, um, there's been just two transfer additions to the offensive line and the secondary. So if you've not really done a whole lot to help those two sides of the ball, that could go a long way. But I think if Michigan's going to get their four-and-a-half win total, then the transfer class is going to have to pay off where they did make additions. Mike or uh, Coach Mel Tucker has mentioned that he likes this transfer class as much as any that he's brought in, including the one ahead of the 2021 season where they went 11-2. and two. So he likes this transfer class, even though it might be not addressing two specific or three specific um, um, two specific positions on the offensive line in the secondary. He really likes the class. If that transfer class hits, especially on the defensive side of the ball, then they can get to their four and a half. The offensive question marks as well as departures are the reason they won't. Peyton Thorne goes through spring. He eats up all those spring snaps, and now he's gone. So what does that look like for Michigan State? And not only is it Peyton Thorne, but it's also um, Coleman that leaves as well. Keon Coleman, the wide receiver that exits uh, as well. So there's two pretty big blows for your offense. Uh, and the third blow being that they leave after spring. So you don't have that extra practice time to get the reps available for those those new those new um those new programs or those new guys I'm sorry whoever it is that has to fill in all right so uh, I believe Rutgers is going to be our next program Greg Schiano and uh the Scarlet Knights four and eight last season for Rutgers and the um the stuff I had noted for this team, I believe you had a really rough year offensively. Mm -hmm. And Greg Schiano really wants to be able to run the football. They've got some guys that stepped up as freshmen last year or young players last year at the running back position that are returning this year. The over and under is four, and if they're going to get to that, the return of Pat Flaherty as offensive line coach could go a long way to making that happen. Repair that offensive line, get those running backs more space to work with, and I think that's a little bit more of Greg Schiano's identity, and then maybe you can get to your four wins that way, just being very solid up front, get the run push that you need, 
really have that kind of production going along uh, the offensive line, and then that can kind of spread to the rest, excuse me, the rest of the offense uh, for Rutgers. So I like the return of Pat Flaherty as the offensive line coach, but the one thing that will keep them from that uh, for uh, four wins is their red zone defense continues to struggle. They were basically dead last last year when it comes to red zone uh, defense. And that, of course, you're giving up points. Well, you're losing games. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, th- I think that's good. Uh, Spencer, for me, because that's actually that was actually my thing to keep them away from it as well was just the defense, but you specifically were talking about the red zone, which I think is great. For me, though, on offense, like, that's going to help them get over that hurdle, be able to get, you know, get over four wins. I think it comes down to, can you have, can you have one guy step up at quarterback? They had, they had two in Evan Simon and Gavin Wimslet, who, who both played, they both threw for, 700 and almost 750 yards both through for four or five touchdowns both through over they threw more interceptions they threw touchdowns can they just have one guy step up at quarterback can you have can you have just one quarterback who leads and takes over the, that that position because i really think that I, i'm i'm not of the mindset you can't win with two quarterbacks but last year they weren't winning and neither quarterback stepped up in a good way and so I think I think they need good quarterback play this year, which is not something Greg Schiano is always known for. But I want this to work for him. I, I I think I made this clear a couple years ago whenever he took over the spot at at Rutgers. What happened at Tennessee I thought was absolute garbage for him, and I, I've just kind of been pulling for him. And so I really would like to see them take a step up this year and actually get over this four win mark. I would love for them to be competitive. Um. So yeah, that that's my breakdown of Rutgers. All right, Wisconsin, eight and a half wins. All right. I mean, Spencer, that can I mean, be very simple here. Yeah, I'm I mean, just gonna I, be very simple here. Please, please. new offense, new mm-hmm. offense takes hold right away. Old old defense stays put. New offense takes hold right away. Old defense stays put. Wisconsin at eight and a half wins. Are you looking at that schedule? They have 10 (laughs) wins on that schedule. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. The only reason it's not that way is because it's Wisconsin and this drastic change on offense or what seems to be a drastic change on offense seems to be out of pocket for their talent. But Tanner Mordecai. Yep. I'm I'm I think this is a group that can go for 10 wins. I if I was a betting person, eight and a half, I'd be going over with almost relative ease. And uh, 10 wins is very much possible for this group if the old defense stays put and the new offense is able to take hold, particularly at the receiver position, because I think that's the main thing that would t- keep a sort of ground and pound kind of team from uh, exploding. You don't have the receivers to really stretch the field or be dynamic on the outside, whatever it is, you're great up front. Uh, which is going to be good for Phil Longo because his North Carolina teams led the uh, ACC in rushing. So I think that fits this Wisconsin team specifically. Um, so, yeah, those receivers have got to be able to step up. But eight and a half wins, if if those things happen, Tanner Mordecai is able to execute. They run the ball the way they want to. Northwestern, Temple, Virginia Tech, Michigan, <laughs> or at Michigan. Wagner, at Wisconsin, 
Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong uh, schedule. I apologize. You are. Uh, That's what I was laughing. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. They're, they Here they have go. Buffalo at Washington State, at Georgia Southern, at Illinois, at Indiana, Iowa, at Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Rutgers, Ohio State, and Purdue. Ten wins um, are there, Spencer. I, look, I, I have not spoken confidently uh, except for my whole like I don't care who plays quarterback at Ohio State. I feel very confident that Wisconsin's about to win 10, maybe even 11 games. <laughs> like, like I really do. So they're, they're returning 10 on offense, and the the 11th player is Tanner Mordecai, who might be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And they also return eight from their elite defense. They've, they've, oh, and also, I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard of this guy before, Spencer, but they, they return a, a little, a little, little running back named Braylon Allen. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, uh, yeah. He's pretty freaking good. In a horrible year last year, he ran for over 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. This Wisconsin team is going to get over. They're going to get over eight and a half wins because of their schedule and because of Tanner Mordecai. They don't hit eight and a half wins if all of a sudden Luke Fickle forgets how to coach. That 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 is as blunt and easy as I can put it. Like you said. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't even write down anything to that would keep them from it. I, I didn't even, I, I didn't even consider anything that would keep them from eight and a half wins. I, love, I just, I don't, yeah, I just I, don't think I, I, our friend, <laughs> our our friend that uh, that 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 you know that lives in the Midwest is going to be so happy when they hear this when they hear this segment, yeah. like that. It just, it doesn't make sense. I think it's borderline disrespectful. And unless they know something we don't, which I just, I, I don't. I think this, I think Vegas, I think Vegas has got it wrong here. I just do. I think they got it wrong here. Um, because like CBS Sports, they, like they laid down the, win, the over-under, like eight and a half wins, right? They picked the over, but one of the losses they have is at Purdue. Are we talking about the same Purdue team? Because we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But uh, yeah, I, I just was caught off guard by that. Spencer, the the team that um, I forgot to make mention of because we were trying to do East and West um, is Indiana. Um, yeah, I skipped them on accident. Oh, it's, no, it's okay. Uh, let's be quick about this. Their over-under is four wins. I don't really know what to be super jazzed about. They lose Connor Bezlek. They bring back Dexter Williams at, at as backup. Or no, I'm sorry. They have a redshirt freshman Tavon Taven Jackson that comes in. I, I really do think that what's going to keep them. I'm, I'm be the negative. What keeps them is I think they're playing. I think they play teams of their 12 game schedule. I, I can't get words out. Sorry, of their 12 game schedule, they play nine teams that I think are far be- that are better than them. I think they have a very tough schedule, and I think that's going to keep them from getting from getting four wins. What helps them? Yeah, so get, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I just go ahead. Say, sorry. Nope. No, no, no. It's okay. The the way they're able to get over it is if Anderson Kobe is able to take over in a game. That's their one of their returning wide receivers who 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 is supposed to be a dude. Um, that they looked for really big. They looked for really big things from him. I think he is. A, he'd be able to help them. Get man, just get a win that no one expects them to get. Probably not against a, a Penn State or Ohio State, but maybe you know, maybe upset Purdue. You know, um, 
but I think it does come down to these individual players that they expect big things from showing up actually in the games. But I, I don't, I really don't foresee them doing that. But go ahead, Spencer. I mean to cut you off. You're all right. Uh, they threw the ball like 50 times a game last year at Indiana. They're going to a big uh, running kind of a or a passing kind of an offense. And Basilak completed 55% of his passes last year, throwing it like 427 times or something. So they so need many. more efficiency. Yeah, they need more efficiency at quarterback, whether that's Dexter Williams or uh, Tavon Jackson, either or. Williams has experience from last season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who the quarterback is. But if they can get more efficient play, then obviously it allows that wide receiver that you mentioned to, uh, to have more opportunity to take over because uh, they'll be putting the ball in the air. Uh, and then the thing that doesn't keep them there is the, if their if their defense continues, uh, you know, to play poorly and they don't get that side of the ball turned around uh, last year for Indiana, it just wasn't good on that side of the ball. Gave up 33.9 points per game. They've done that the last two years, actually. So, got to find a way to get turned around on the defensive side of the ball. Spencer, do you agree though with their schedule? Their schedule just looks so hard for for them. Well, yeah, no, of course, that's it's Indiana. So, yeah, Ohio State to open the year. <laughs> Louisville. Um, yeah. Now, is that – that's not the same Louisville. I'm no, looking at a Louisville wrong. IND. That's, oh, that's not that's not normal Louisville? I don't, I don't reckon so. Let me see. Oh, they have Indiana up. State and then Louisville. Yeah, they have Louisville in, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay, I'm sorry. I was looking yeah. at the schedule weird. And that's, so, yeah, and Jeff Brom in Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Brom's about to just put some, just put a ton of points on them. All right. Uh, next, Spencer is. You got to go. Yeah, and you said you got to go to Michigan, to Penn State, and then you got Wisconsin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schedule's going to be tough. Go ahead. Okay. Um, try to quick uh, speed this up. Iowa. Iowa's at seven and a half wins. Everyone knows the joke about their offense coordinator being on a contract this year, them having to average 25 points or more. They return nine players on offense, and they 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 bring in tra- uh, bring in transfer Cade McNair. They return seven from an elite defense. He, here's how they're going to hit over seven and a half wins, and it's going to be the same way that they continue to do it and have done it except for one year. The last five years they've done it for the last five years, and the only year they didn't do it was 2020. If you throw on those other games from a shortened season, I guarantee you they hit eight wins again. They're going to do it. I I would pay the over, and they're able to do it because of their defense. Okay? Here is how they're not able to do it, though. They're not able to do it if Cade McNamara is worse than who they had last year in Spencer Petras. Like... That is the only way that I I feel very confident that they'll hit eight wins. I think it's going to be ugly eight wins, but Caden McNamara is not worse than Spitzer Petrus. But he, if he plays worse than he does, they will not hit eight wins. That's simple as that for me. Caden McNamara completed sixty four percent of his passes for twenty five hundred yards, eight yards an attempt, fifteen touchdowns, and six interceptions in twenty twenty one with Michigan as the full year starter. If he can duplicate those numbers and maybe even improve upon them in a little bit in, in a few ways, then I think he's leaps and bounds better than yes. uh than Spencer Spencer Petrus was last year because Petrus fifty five percent only seventeen hundred yards and only five touchdowns thrown with five interceptions. So if he can just take them that much further along, 
uh, and, and it's only the 15 touchdown passes, then that could go a long way uh, for Michigan just being better and, and giving them more opportunities uh, to score. They've got a really nice running back coming back in Caleb Johnson. Dude, but there's he's so also good. he's so good. I'm yep, sorry. There's also a a Caleb Brown who's a freshman wide receiver from Ohio State that's coming mm-hmm. in also. Yep. So McNamara and Johnson, that combination could be very beneficial for uh, Iowa this year as they want to continue that side of you know progressing that side of the ball. Uh, and and again, yeah, de- defensively though, um, they'll be right there at at. Uh, at eight wins again, expect um, if hell if you can win eight games with Spencer Petrus as your quarterback, <laughs> then you know seven and a half should definitely be an over if Kate McNamara is your guy because he's at least comparable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, all right, Spencer. Now, w- one of the teams that I actually had a hard time like thinking about, right, or not thinking about, but like preparing for, is Illinois. Um, they are coming off, you know, an eight-win eight, eight win season last year. They statistically had a better defense than Georgia did. I know that might bother some Georgia fans, but they did. Um, like, almost across the board, in, in every major category, they had a better defense than Georgia did. Their offense was just, I, I don't know any other word to call it, but abysmal. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess. I mean, they had a really good running back. So Luke I, Altmeier, I don't think Luke abysmal. sucked. Luke, Luke Altmaier wasn't their quarterback last year. I'm sorry, I apologize. Luke, uh, Tommy DeVito. My bad. My bad. Tommy DeVito was 15 touchdowns and four interceptions. 69% pass completion. Mm-hmm. And a 1,600-yard running back. Yeah, They couldn't score points, obviously. They couldn't score yeah. points, only 24 per game. Uh, so, yes, the offense, I think, came up short plenty of times. I don't know if a dismal would be the word. They did win eight games. Like, Are we talking about the same Illinois team? Yeah, I just... When you're averaging 24 points in college football, I just think that's abysmal. Like, I wouldn't say abysmal, but I understand what you mean. Okay. For me, they're able – Luke Altmaier is their, is their quarterback. Is supposed to be their quarterback this year. That That's – I think that's right. what I was trying to think. That's what I was thinking of. Um, he's coming from Ole Miss. They got John Paddock from Ball State coming in as well, but it, it does seem like uh, Altmaier is going to be their starter. Spencer, for me – I, I believe in Brett Bielema. I think Brett Bielema is actually a really good coach. I think their schedule actually gives them the opportunity to get to over six and a half wins. I think they're able to do this, though, if Luke Altmaier can be, can give them a balanced offense. Can you have a balanced offense this year where you're not only leaning on your running game, but you actually can you you actually can have deep threat? Like you can actually hit some deep plays deep, make the defense that you're playing against back, take a few steps back to open up running lanes for your running game. Um, I think they're not able to do this. They're not able to do this if their defense isn't able to be comparable to last year's defense. They need their defense to be really good. They're, they're kind of like Iowa. They need their defense to be really good to play at a high level. And so I think they won't be able to if their defense isn't if, – if their defense isn't playing elite, they, they, won't, they won't be able to do that. But I do think they can if their defense plays the way they're supposed to and they get good quarterback play from Altmaier. Yeah, I think Altmaier certainly gives you the opportunity to sling it around a little bit more. Um, DeVito threw it 369 times but only went for like 2,500 yards. 
Mm-hmm. So that's obviously not enough from an attempts standpoint, an attempts per or yards per attempt standpoint. So Luke Altmaier at least is going to give you the chance to sling it around a little bit more. But again, Rob, like we've said before, sometimes that has to come from the system. You know, the system has to ask you to do it. Um, Danny DeVito or uh, Tommy DeVito, sorry, <laughs> might, not, might not have been asked to, uh, to, to sling it around a whole lot, a whole lot of the time. Yeah. Um, since we're Minnesota, Minnesota, I th- I, Minnesota, I think they're another enigma in, in a way this year. Uh, they are, they're over under is seven wins. Um, I, they finished nine and four last year, a quiet nine and four, which I, I, I legitimately, I watch a lot of college football. I try to keep track of, of everything I can. And I forgot that they won nine games last year. We're going into PJ flex seventh year. Um, I will not in any way, shape or form, try to pronounce their, their, uh, expected quarterback starters name. Um, you are more than welcome to, if you would like to. Um, but for me, they, they will be able to go over, they'll be able to go over seven wins. So sorry, I think they're going to, okay, I, I, this is going to be a little different. I think they'll be able to go over seven wins if they can just beat North Carolina. Because the rest of the games, because there are, there are, I think there are almost guaranteed six wins on here with Eastern Michigan, Louisiana, Michigan State, Nebraska, Purdue, Northwestern, and even possibly Illinois. But I think it comes down to, can you beat North Carolina? It's at North Carolina. Can you win that game? Can you go into Chapel Hill and beat, beat a North Carolina team who is not known for being very physical when Minnesota actually tries to be a very physical team? They won't be able to do it, Spencer, if they continue to have the inconsistency on offense that they've kind of seemed to have since the 2021 season. I'm not saying bad. I'm just saying inconsistent. Yeah, I'm not going to attempt that quarterback's name either. <laughs> uh, I think we can just call him AK for right now. Yep. Um, that will be the, abbrevi- uh, the abbreviation. They won nine games last year, like you mentioned, but they lost to Purdue by 10. They lost to Illinois 26-14, and they lost to Iowa 13-10. So, and I mean, scored. there's three more wins almost right there from yeah, last and- year. And they lost to Iowa, like you said. And Spencer, in all four of those games, they scored an average of like 14 points. Like, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, 10, 10, 10, 14, and 10, yeah. Well, and they only gave up 13.8 points per game last year. Six of those defenders are returning, including the second-leading tackler. I like I like some of the opportunities here. Now, Phil still has this rated as the seventh toughest schedule Uh, of the year just because it's Nebraska, there's North Carolina, there's Northwestern, there's Louisiana who's good out of the group of five, and you also have to play Michigan and Ohio State. you got to go on the road to Ohio State to Iowa, and you've also got Wisconsin and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks on the 18th and 25th. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough year for Minnesota to try to get back to that that win total. But I think P.J. Fleck is doing – a better uh, a better job than maybe we're realizing simply because I mm-hmm. think Mi- Minnesota's kind of fallen off the 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 national spotlight. How does the off season stuff play into this? It, hasn't he been accused of a toxic com- uh, toxic um, oh, environment there? Oh, you didn't see that? Like it ended up being absolutely nothing. It ended up being oh, did it? okay. Yeah, he 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 would do exercise. Apparently, do exercises for punishment. 
like make them run if they did something like if they as a punishment like it ended up being the most ridiculous it, it was, to... yeah it was nothing okay very good um all right spencer so you you mentioned them a little bit just a second ago let's let's jump to, into this because we're, we're almost we're winding down here <sighs> nebraska for me i i really do think because i just i just trust i just trust matt rule to, to be a really good coach and make this team better and more more competent. I, I, I want to get those specifics out of the way because I, I, my expectation is that they will be a better, more confident, confident, competent, and more sound football team. For, so for me, their win-loss of six, six or more, or yeah, six wins, comes down to one player, and that is Jeff Sims. Can Jeff Sims be that four-star border, that four-star quarterback that everyone expected him to be in a new offense that will actually allow him to show his skill set. If he is able to, if he is able to play really well, they will go six wins or more. If he is not able to, I do not think they'll be able to hit six wins this year. Simple as that for me. Yeah, they've got gotten quite the quite the interesting start to the year at Minnesota, at Colorado, mm-hmm. and then Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, and then Michigan. So September is going to be a really important month for uh, Nebraska if they can try to weather some of that storm there. The Obviously, a, a fairly guaranteed loss there to Michigan. Uh, there are eight starters returning defensively, including three, uh, four of the top five tacklers from last year. If that if they can get some leadership out of those guys, I agree. Jeff Sims has the potential to you know maybe turn his career around. Uh, Bo Nix esque. I don't know if it'll be that you know that start or that stat impacted or stat packed uh, kind of turnaround, but maybe he has a chance to sort of put himself on some NFL radars here with an upcoming year. Marcus Washington is a transfer wide receiver from Texas. You've also got a transfer wide receiver in Billy Kemp from Virginia who has 25 starts under his belt. So you get some experience coming in and around uh, a guy like uh, Jeff Sims could go a long way and like you said, I, I like Matt Rule as a quarterback or as a as a head coach as well. Somebody to stabilize, somebody to give you a little bit of uh, uh, stability. So yeah, I, I like the the chances for Matt Rule in Nebraska this upcoming season, um, even with a tough September. All right, Spencer, let's talk about Northwestern. Um, yeah, their over under is three and a half. CBS here has Northwestern possibly winning at Duke. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to hit three and a half. I think they can. If Cincinnati, Cincinnati transfer Ben Bryant, um, the, 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 the quarterback that transferred in, um, if he ends up being something special, <laughs> because I just, I think you need, you need something special at, at Northwestern with the rest of the talent around you. You, you need, you need a quarterback who can make things happen for you. Um, but Spencer, I, I don't think they will if the status quo stays the same at Northwestern. If things stay the same, if they continue to have a mediocre offense and okay, or like a okay to good defense, nothing's going to change, and they're not going to hit three and a half wins. I know that's really simple and easy, and maybe a little der- uh, derogatory, but that's where I'm at with them. Well, and I'm also, you know, there's been a, a big off season for them. Uh, one that maybe inside that locker room is going to cause a lot of friction and a lot of distrust or a lot of just inability to gel um, because there was a, a part of that hazing story 
included current players both defending and coming out against Fitzgerald, if I remember correctly. So if that's the case there at Northwestern, then, yeah, you might have a broken locker room before you even get started, and that's a recipe for disaster. And if three wins is the case, then uh, with a locker room quite like that, you you might not even be able to get to three. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know we are not making predictions, but I, I would make the prediction they are not going to hit three and a half wins. Um, all right, Spencer, last team. Um, Purdue Boilmakers with first-year head coach – I'm sorry, with first-year coach at – yeah, actually, first-year head coach Ryan Walters. Look, and oh, and also, I don't know if you knew this, Hudson Card is going to be their starter this year. I'm sure you did research. I'm sure you know that. But just the, who, no. those who didn't know, Hudson Card, um, Texas former Texas quarterback, um, is going to be their starter this year at Purdue. Uh, I mean, their over-under is five wins. I actually think they can get to five wins. I, I believe at least for this year and this year alone, there is enough offensive talent at Purdue that if you have comp- if you have competent coaching, calling plays, and leading this leading this offense, I think they can get five wins against Fresno State, Syracuse, Illinois, Indiana, Northwestern, um, maybe even at Virginia Tech. Like I, I actually could see them going six and six this year as a, and, and being a really good season. However, for me, the the reason why they're not able to do this is if Ryan Walters and that offensive staff is not able to take advantage of what he has in the cupboard. Um, again, very simple, but that that's that that's Purdue in a nutshell for me. They have an offense. I, I don't even I'm not mentioning their defense because they they never really have a defense. Um, but if their offense can be can be even just a shell of what it normally is, I think they can get five. I think they can get five to six wins. For the first time in decades, Purdue opted to hire a defensive-minded head coach mm-hmm. and got him from uh, Illinois which is Ryan Walters, uh, 36 years old. He's the youngest head coach in Power 5, but certainly has the defensive performance uh, to back up the promotion, uh, writes the folks over at uh, Pick 6 Preview. Um, He's defensive-minded, but Walters hired an offensive coordinator, signaled um, continuation, the pass-heavy scheme. Um, So they're they're looking to be uh, still a pass heavy kind of team as they bring in Graham Harrell, uh, his version of the air raid to West Lafayette. So all of the things that you've seen from Purdue before in the past should continue. Hudson Card continues to get to throw the ball around, and I think that's a pretty good move from Walters. Uh, Jeff Brom, I think his success at Purdue's got to be unprecedented to to some degree, considering who Purdue is, uh, cradle of quarterbacks, if you will. Thirty and uh, three and thirty in conference play before he got there, uh, and then he's consistently turned out some uh, some teams that have been able to reach some pretty high uh, marks. And he's had up and downs, but ultimately, I think you're going to remember Jeff Brom as a success at Purdue. So big shoes to fill for Ryan Walters, um, and I, I hats off to him for keeping the air raid or the big passing offense going with Graham Harrell as his offensive coordinator. Who knows if it will be successful? But uh, they'll certainly continue to put the ball in the air. All right, Spencer, we did not do this with the Pac-12, which is kind of a failure on our part. But we need to do this really quick. Spencer, give me a prediction of the championship game and who wins. Oh, man, that's tough because 
Mm-hmm. Are you? Are, I mean, do you really want to pick Jim Harbaugh to do it three years in a row? No, I that do not. Feels like a tall. That feels like a tall order. Everyone's after him this year, you know. Yeah, and and could it be fresh blood at at, at Ohio State that really sends them over the top? Uh, does Devin Brown or or whoever at quarterback take the take some big steps? Yeah, it'll be uh. <laughs> I think yeah. Give me give me Ohio State and Wisconsin in the championship game. You know what? Give me give me give me the give me the Badgers to go the okay. whole way. If I'm if you're asking me to make a prediction yeah. right now, yeah, give me the Badgers. We we you and I have not made predictions at all this summer. We've been very reserved. We've been very conservative. Now it's time to open it up, Spencer. Got to open it up a little bit. All right, open it up a little bit. All right, my pick is Penn State versus Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. I, I think I think Penn State puts it together. I think there there are there are answers to questions at Penn State that I have not had in a long time since probably about 2016 when they made the Rose Bowl. I think that I think there's some legitimate hype around them for a good reason. Give me Wisconsin. I, I I think I think Wisconsin, you know, we already said could possibly win 10, 11 games this season, and they can. I do think there are some teams, you know, like like a Nebraska um, or like an Iowa who may scare Wisconsin a few times. But give me Wisconsin versus Penn State. And then, Spencer, man, give me Penn State to win, win the Big Ten. Give me yeah. Penn State to win the Big Ten. But I love your pick, Wisconsin. I, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I will say this. If I'm wrong and it ends up being Wisconsin versus Ohio State, I, I will say that I think I think Wisconsin does win that game. But I'm, I'm picking Penn State versus Wisconsin and Penn State to win. Uh, and I won't – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think I'd be completely surprised if Michigan got there. No, no. Everyone's picking them too. Even yeah. though – oh, actually, and, Ohio State's the favorite to do it. My bad. But Oh, are they? Yeah, that, I mean that's what. Oh, who said it the other day? I think that's what uh, Josh Pate said recently on his Thursday podcast. Is that Ohio State was p- the favorite to win it? They might, that might be betting favorite. I don't know. Um, but go ahead. Um, what else did you want to add? Uh, no, that's it. Okay, I'm good to go. All right, Spencer, I'm out. We we have we have we have podcasts almost two hours. We have podcasted a lot tonight. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip-flop later. Later.